You're listening to a sermon preached at Meridian Church. For more information about Meridian Church, visit meridianchurch.com. It is our hope that this sermon is used by the Holy Spirit to minister to you the grace and peace found in Jesus Christ to the glory of God the Father. And now, here's your sermon audio. Good morning. It's good to see everyone this morning. It is both an honor and a privilege to stand before you this morning and also stand before you in fear as to bring forth the word of the Holy God. <clears throat> this morning, you turn your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel chapter 37. Now, if you have ever found yourself going off on tangents or chasing rabbits, if you will, during your own personal Bible study, I'm sure I'm, only, I'm the only one who does that, but uh, you under, understand how I got this passage this morning. Uh, a few months ago, I was cross-reversing uh, something, and that led me to the prophet Ezekiel's vision of the valley of dry bones. It was such an interesting story that I read the whole thing, even though the cross-reference was just one verse. But I didn't stop at the end of verse 14. I kept reading. And it was then that I realized what a stark contrast there was between the two events. Let's begin now. We are... We will be focusing this morning on Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 15 through 28, but we will begin in verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to the bones, that behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live, and I will lay sinews upon you and it will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you. And you shall live, and you shall know that I am Yahweh. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and I say to the breath, thus says, Thus says Yahweh, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, Our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says Yahweh, Behold, uh, I, will, 
I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord, that I am Yahweh, when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall, shall live. And I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am Yahweh. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares Yahweh. The word of Yahweh came to me. Son of man, take a stick and write on it. For Judah and the people of Israel associated with him, then take another stick and write it. For Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and all the house of Israel associated with him. And join them into one another, into to one stick that they may become one in your hand. And when your people say to you, Will you not tell us what you mean by these? Say to them, Thus says Yahweh, Behold, I am about to take the stick of Joseph, that is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel associated with him, and I will join with it the stick of Judah, and, and make them one stick, and they may have, that they may be, may be in one in my hand. When the sticks on which you are, uh, on which you write are in your hand before the eyes, say to them, Thus says Yahweh, Behold, I will take the people of Israel from the nations among which they have gone, and will gather them from all around, and bring them to their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. And one king shall be king over them all, they shall no longer be two nations, and no longer divided into two kingdoms. They shall not defile themselves any more with their idols and their detestable things or with any other of their transgressions. But I will save them from all the backslidings in which they have sinned, and they will cleanse them, and they will be, shall be my people, and I will be their God. My servant David shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. They shall dwell in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob, where your fathers lived. They and their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever, and David my servant shall be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will set them in their land and multiply them, and will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, that I am Yahweh, who sanctifies Israel, when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word, and Father, we, uh, we thank you, Father, that there is we can be reconciled to you, Father, and that. And the process for which that happens is all on you. Father, it has nothing uh, to do with us. Father, it's all because of your grace. Father, that that uh, is made available through your Son. Uh, Lord, we pray that you'll continue to be with us uh, in the service this morning. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here you have these, you have, you start off in chapter 37 with this all inspiring uh, vision of dry bones coming together, being dressed with flesh, and then coming to life with the prophet himself given the commands to do so at the behest of God. It was, I'm sure, a grand and fearful vision for 
Ezekiel. Then you go right from there to God telling the prophet, oh, by the way, the next time you preach, get two sticks and put them together. And to use as a sermon illustration, you talk about a huge contrast. You go from literally seeing not only the dead coming back to life, but having a front row seat to watch God creating something right before your eyes. You go from there to go pick up two sticks, something any toddler can go in their backyard and do. You think, okay, I get the stick illustration, but why didn't God just allow the leaders, at least of the tribes, to see what Ezekiel saw in his vision? I'm, you know, I'm sure that would make a much more huge impression on them and gotten their, their attention a lot more than just putting together two sticks. To which I ask, would it have? Is the amount of our faith in God dependent on how big of a miracle we see? Scripture is chock full of examples of why that is not true. And we can see how that wouldn't be true today. I remember many years ago as a young adult uh, visiting a church where a well-intentioned Sunday school uh, teacher queried how many more people would believe in God today if he did the miracles on the scale uh, like he did when he parted the uh, Red Sea or if he wrote it in the sky. He concluded the reason that it would take less faith to believe in God if, it, if in fact God did those types of things. And uh, I'm sitting there thinking, at best, that is only partially right. Even then, back then in my early 20s, I had enough worldly knowledge to know the reason. It wouldn't make any difference. Man would try to come up with some scientific, extraterrestrial, or man-made trick as an explanation, much like the sorcerers did in Egypt. They would come up with anything other than to give God the credit. People will believe or tell themselves anything in order not to have a reckoning with God, no matter how outlandish it is. And a lot of times they don't even realize they're doing it. They think, and they think they're the smart ones. You th think about the Exodus. The children of Israel even knew it was God who performed all those miracles, who did, who did all those plagues. They, they, saw it all, they saw all these things unfold before their very eyes. Yet only, yet only three months had passed since they crossed the Red Sea until they built the golden calf. Three months. So we think about 
Well, you know, how we would never do that and question how in the world would they do that? You think, I would never, if I saw something like that, I would never uh, worship a golden calf. Well, the answer is actually found in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verses 2 of two through 4, in <coughs> one of Moses' last addresses to the nation. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that Yahweh did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all, in, and to all his land. <coughs> the greatest trials that, you, that, you, that, that your eyes saw, the signs and those great wonders. But to this day, Yahweh has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. Our faith does not come from what we see, what we hear, or what we experience. It does not come freely from somewhere within us. It comes solely from God. It doesn't make any difference if you see skeletons come back to life or see an illustration of two sticks being put together. You understand what God wants you to understand. You can read the Bible from cover to cover and still not believe what you read. Now, reconciliation between one person or a group to another is different than reconciliation to God. And uh, we will go into that a little bit later. The dictionary definition is of reconciliation is restoration of friendly relations. And usually when we're talking about our relations with each other, that's exactly what it is. Let's see first, let's see first here in verses uh, 15 through 18 where we can see how they were joined in reconciliation. Uh, going back to Ezekiel in chapter 36, 36, we see what God is going to do. In verses 26 through 27, He says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within the, and I and I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give your your you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. And then in verse go up a few verses to verse twenty two, and we see exactly why God is doing this. Therefore Say to the house of Israel, Thus says Yahweh, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you come. It has not, This reconciliation has nothing to do with what Israel had done. It has all to do going to be done for the sake of God's name. Israel had done nothing to deserve this great reconciliation. It, was, it had, had to do with upholding the name of God. Israel needed reconciliation with God that only God could provide. We need reconciliation with God that only God can provide. Another interesting note, not only had their actions been undeserving of reconciliation, Nowhere in Ezekiel does it mention about Israel uh, or Joseph and Judah's 
tribes repenting at any point and asking <coughs> for the re <coughs> reconciliation. They didn't ask for it. They didn't act for it. God just simply was going to take action on it. Israel and Judah had not been united since Solomon. There were 120 years of unity between uh, King Saul, David, and Solomon. And then there, there was a roughly 400 years of division after that. So God was going to reconcile the nation to himself by first reconciling or in the process of reconciling the two nations back into one. And can you imagine the feelings of these two nations during this time? They had been separated for 400 years, many to the point of being in completely different nations. No one alive had ever known what it was like to live in a united nation. And now God has, was going to reconcile them. Sound that uh, this, they may have felt like a like a story I read. Um, one New Year's Eve at London's Garrett Club, British dramatist Frederick Lonsdale was asked by Seymour Hicks to reconcile with a fellow member. The two had quarreled in the past and never restored their friendship. You must, Hicks said to Lonsdale, it is very unkind to be unfriendly at such a time. Go over now and wish him a happy New Year. So Lonsdale crossed the room and spoke to his enemy. I wish you a happy new year, he said, but only one. <laughs> None of the people alive were alive at the last time these two nations were united. This would have been a foreign concept to them. First Kings chapter 12, though, tells us that the vision was all part of God's plan. Since God divided it, He could unite it. God is the initiator and executor of reconciliation. Let's read verse 19 again. Chapter 37. Say to them, Thus saith the Lord, just thus says Yahweh, Behold, I am about to take the stick of Joseph, that is, in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel associated with him, and I will join with it the stick of Judah, and make them one stick, that they may be one in my hand. They will become one in God's hand and no one else's. There is no power in the hand of Judah. There is no power in the hand of the tribe of Joseph. The only power is in the hand of God. And next we hear, so, so we have this uh, joined in rec reconciliation. Now we move on to the joy in reconciliation. When, starting in verse 20, when this reunification, there is a blessing. God is going to gather them all back together from being scattered throughout the nations. He is going to bring them to their own land. They will have one king. He will save them from their backsliding, cleanse them, and they will be his people, and he will be <coughs> their God. Even though they didn't ask for reconciliation, even though they didn't act deservedly for reconciliation, they were still going to experience joy by this reconciliation. 
If you think about it, can there be true reconciliation without joy? We have two well-known examples in Genesis alone. The first is Jacob and Esau. We're probably all somewhat familiar with the story of how Esau gave up his birthright to Jacob and then Jacob stole Esau's blessing. <coughs> Jacob then pretty much went into exile and many years, two wives and a bunch of sheep later, he finds himself about to cross paths with his brother. Then in Genesis 33, 4, we see that it says that, but Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. There was joy in their reconciliation. The second is found in Genesis 45, where Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. After his brother had sold him to slavery because of, because of jealousy of their father's favoritism toward Joseph, when he tells his shocked brothers who he is, he hugged them and wept. There was great joy in the Reconciliation. You may th even think of examples in your own life when you've had a joyful reconciliation. There's joy in heaven when a sinner reconciles with God. Jesus says in the parable of the lost sheep in Luke 15 that just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven <coughs> over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Jesus is experiencing uh, is speaking from personal experience here. He knew about the, of being in heaven, so he would know about this. The, the joy that we experience with reconciling with God, however, is not because we have restored a relationship from the aspect where we might forgive someone of a wrong or we might compromise or meet someone halfway for the sake of being reconciled. That is reciprocal reconciliation. Reconciling with God is not reciprocal in the sense that both equally become friends when they were enemies. The Greek word used in 2 Corinthians denotes a transformation. God did not meet us halfway. He changed us. He transformed us. That's what 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. God is not going to change for you. You are going to change for God. If God loved you just the way you are, quote, unquote, that so many... Uh, are saying in today's churches and there would be no need for a transformation. There would be no need for a reconciliation. Unless we are reconciled to God, we are enemies of God and there is nothing personally that we can do about it to reconcile because we would not want to on our own accord. Our sinful nature won't allow it. Is therefore God who initiates, is God who completes the transformation and the reconciliation. This reconciliation of God stands as a completed act 
which may alone makes possible human contact with God. As Paul writes in Romans 5.10, For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. The assurance that God has taken the matter in hand is a ground of the believer's joy in what Paul describes in verse 11. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, whom we now have received reconciliation. As, uh, as, as the Ezekiel says, starting in verse 20, when the sticks on on which you are right in your right are in, in your hand before their eyes, then say to them, Thus says Yahweh, Behold, I will take the people of Israel from the nations among them they have gone, and I will gather them all around and bring them to their own land. There is great joy in this. Christ was able to do this by being the atoning sacrifice for our sin. As the one who knew not sin, he bore our sin in his death. On a cross and through his resurrections, we have been made righteous and our sin is forgiven. And Christ's perfect righteousness has been imputed on us. Colossians 1, 19-22 tells us, for in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. There may be sorrow on earth, but there is joy in Christ. And finally, we see a journey in our reconciliation. Starting in verse 24. My servant David shall be king over them. They shall all have one shepherd. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my, my statutes. They shall dwell in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob where your fathers live. They and their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever. And David my servant shall be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will set them in their land and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My dwelling place shall be with them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. The nations will know that I am, the, I am Yahweh who sanctifies Israel and my sanctuary is in their midst forever more and it's obviously that the word david here in ezekiel when it comes uh it mentions here he's talking about christ everything is going to be united under christ i love the new king james version title on this section one kingdom one king what a powerful statement there is one kingdom God's. There is one King, Jesus. When we are reconciled to God, the process is not over. It's just the beginning. After God saves us, 
process of sanctification and growing in Christ begins and God makes us begins to make us more like Christ. God speaks of an everlasting kingdom built on an everlasting covenant where He will be our God and we will be His people. Until then, we have been commissioned to work and tell others about Christ. That is the mystery of reconciliation that Paul speaks of in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where he says that in Christ, God reconciled the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses and against them and entrusting us the message of reconciliation. Our job is to proclaim the reconciliation accomplished by Christ. We who are the recipients of this have the privilege to proclaim God's message throughout the world. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us, Paul says in verse 20. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. I implore you this morning, be reconciled to God if you have not already been. The reconciliation in Christ comes only by abiding faith. Repent and put the faith God has given you in Him. The human enmity toward God has been removed through and only through His Son. By God's grace, believe it, accept it, and repent of your sins. Now, brothers and sisters, you may be saying to yourself, I know I have been reconciled with God, but I do not have that joy of being reconciled with Him like I once had. Let me remind you from this morning's passage that before God reconciled Israel to Himself, He reconciled the two nations. Perhaps there is someone who you need to reconcile with in order to experience the joy you once felt with your reconciliation with God. Is there someone you would cross a room to in order to wish a happy new year but only one? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have provided a way for us to be reconciled to you through your Son, through his atoning sacrifice, through his perfect sacrifice. And Lord, it is only through him, Father, that we can experience, Father, to be reconciled to you. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone who has not experienced our reconciliation here, here this morning, that you and your mercy and grace would draw them to yourself and they would repent and put, 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 put faith in you. I also pray for those who are already yours, Father, to give us boldness to proclaim their mystery of reconciliation. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon audio from Meridian Church. Please feel free to share this resource with others. We only ask that you do not alter the content in any way. Again, you can find more resources at meridianchurch.com.